Good morning. Glad you can be here with us at uh, 938 online this morning. It's good to it's good to be together. A couple weeks ago, back when the world was normal and kind of what we knew, uh, my family and I were back in the Philadelphia area and a good friend of mine took me to a Sixers game. Now, I love the Sixers. I am a diehard 76ers fan. Um, I have loved them for, for a long time. I went to games when, when they were terrible and they had 2,500 people in the entire arena. Uh, so getting to go to a game when they're good was awesome. And my friend is a season ticket holder and so he had great seats. Now, the last game I went to before this one, uh, I went with my son and, uh, and uh, uh, the same friend and his son and we sat in the highest uh, seats, I mean, that's the seats we could afford. You know, we're up in the top of the arena, um, so far away, the, the players look li- like this big, but this time, I mean, he's got great seats, and so we are down uh, just behind the basket. Uh, we get um, these laminated passes, and we go into a special entrance and use a special elevator, and yeah, come in through this special entrance onto the floor, have access to the Lexus Club, this this special club where there's great food and the players come right by. I mean, this was incredible. It was incredible. Uh, it was also the last game of the season because that night is when we uh, were sitting there on our phones and found out the NBA was canceling the season because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, so that's special. We got to be at the last game of the year. Um, but these seats were incredible. I mean, they, they were so good. I got to stand two feet away when the players ran in during their introductions. And what was cool about that experience is he got me access to something I could never have gotten access to on my own. You know, my seats, I sit way up in the top. I said, what, what, what can I get for, for 20 bucks? I mean, that's like where I can afford to sit. These seats were so much lower and so much better. He got me access to all this stuff that I, I never had access to on my own. And we're going to look at that idea of access this morning as we continue our series, Jesus Among Us, looking at Jesus' interactions in the book of John. by looking at this story in John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. Now, Mark talked last week about Jesus and the, the, at the wedding and performing the miracle, turning water into wine. And we're going to look at this, this next section of verses where Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. Now, it's Passover in these verses, right? It's Passover. And that is a significant moment. Passover is really the, the first thing that the nation of Israel has been commanded to do. It's the, the first feast, the most important holiday they were given. This is all the way back in Exodus 21 when, when God delivered them from Egypt. They'd been crying out for 400 years. They'd been slaves and God had heard their cries and, and sent a, these, the plague so that Pharaoh would let them go and ultimately sent the, the last plague, the angel of death. And because the, the, the Jews did what God had told them to do, because Israel painted the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, the angel of death passed over, and they celebrate Passover to remember that, to remember their deliverance, to remember that God had heard them, to remember the significant moments. And, and so Jews from all over would gather in Jerusalem to, to come to the temple to make their sacrifices and to worship. This was a really meaningful time. So they show up to the temple, and that's where we see Jesus comes back to Jerusalem and he, he goes up to the temple. And I want to show you a, a picture. I want to be able to give you a visual of what the temple would have been like. I mean, this is a significant place. Herod built this temple. It's a, this beautiful, beautiful thing. And it, rabbis uh, from the time would have talked about there's no, there's no equal to its beauty. 
And it's surrounded by this portico and a, and a very large courtyard. And these, you see these, these different elements to it. There's the, the portico on the outside that would have been the, a sheltered walkway, a sheltered colonnade. And then inside of that is the court of the Gentiles. That's the furthest point that non-Jews were allowed to, to enter into. And then inside that, that rectangle in the middle is the, the court of women. That's as far as women were allowed to go. And then there's the temple proper. And then at the furthest depths of the temple was the Holy of Holies. And that's where God was said to have dwelled with his people. And so Jesus shows up here to the temple. And in verse 14 it says, He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And Jesus does something. And it's something that might be surprising because some of us view Jesus as this mellow, Birkenstock-wearing hippie, uh, meek and mild, you know, not going to upset the apple cart Jesus. But that's not the Jesus we see here. Jesus, it says, makes a whip of cords and he drove them all out of the temple. The money changers, the, the, the tradesmen that were there, the, the people selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. And he flipped over tables and poured the, the coins out on the ground. That's kind of a crazy scene. I mean, imagine that. Jesus walks in and, and now he, he makes this whip. And, and I think it's important to note here, I don't think he's, he's making a whip to hurt people. Jesus isn't trying to inflict pain. But when you're trying to get livestock to move somewhere, you need some sort of, some sort of livestock encouragement device. And that's what this, this whip was. And Jesus is literally driving them out. He's trying to force them out of this area. And so you've got animals running around and you've got, I don't think their owners were standing there going like, oh, sure, no problem with this. Go ahead. That's my livelihood, but feel free to take it away. They're probably yelling and like, what's going on? And you've got people scrambling around on the ground trying to pick their, their coins up and the money that's been turned over. And it's, it's just utter, utter chaos. It's chaos. I mean, he's looking at, at, at these people who are selling this stuff saying, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Now, I don't think that Jesus is upset that, that people are getting ripped off here. And now maybe they were. In fact, they probably were because it's human nature. Anytime there's a chance to take advantage, it's, we often do that. But the issue isn't so much that people are being taken advantage of. It's not sort of how the process is going. It's where it's taking place. What Jesus is saying is you have made this place into something that it's not. You've made my father's house a house of trade. It, this is supposed to be a house of worship, and now it is a house of, of, of something else. It's important to note here as well that it's not inherently wrong that people were selling animals inside the temple, that, that it's not inherently wrong that people were, were offering money-changing services, right? Because this was Passover, people traveled from all over to come to Jerusalem. I mean, this was a significant time. And traveling with the animal that you were going to sacrifice is going to be a difficult thing to do. It's going to be hard enough just to get you, your family there, let alone bring the animal that you're about to sacrifice later on. And so people would travel and they would purchase their animal for sacrifice from vendors once they arrived in Jerusalem. It was a, it was a valuable service. The money changers provided a valuable service as well. Again, because people gathered from all over for these important holy days. And they, they lived all over. They used all sorts of different money. And Jewish males from the age of 20 and up were required to pay a temple tax, which would have gone to the upkeep of the temple. But imagine there's all these different currencies and the tax needed to be paid a specific way. It needed to be paid in coins of the purest silver. And, and that would equal about a, a half of a tetra drachma, a coin from the city of Tyre. And so often two Jewish men would gather together and pay their tax with one tetra drachma because the temple tax would have been half of it for each of them. So the money, the money changers exchanged people's money, their regional currency for these coins. Well, 
taking a fee for their troubles. Those are valuable services. The issue is not that the services were there, but it's where the services were. It's where the services were. It's where this stuff was taking place. I think we see two very significant things about the character, about the nature of God in this story. Two very significant things. You know, first glance is Jesus just kind of clears out the temple. But there's some really significant aspects to God's character here. And the first one is that God draws the outsider in. God draws the outsider in. Because when Jesus comes into the temple, all this stuff is taking place in the court of the Gentiles. Now that's a significant thing because that's the furthest place that non-Jews were allowed to go into the temple. And there was a, perp- there was a reason for that. that this, Gentiles could come into this place and could watch what was happening, could see Jews as they worshipped the, the true God, as they worshipped Yahweh. They could see the, the, this worship happening and ask questions. They could be introduced to an experience with God that they wouldn't have any other way. But this commerce is interrupting that. It's taking up the space where the Gentiles could come in. It's, it's loud, it's noisy, there's chaos, there's a lot going on, and it, it's, it's impeding Gentiles' experience of God. What I love about this is that the most Jewish of times, in the most Jewish of places, at the most Jewish of times at Passover, in the most Jewish of places at the temple, Jesus is concerned for the outsider. He's concerned for the outsider. This crowd was hindering the experience of God. And it was experiencing the Gentiles being introduced to this. As far back in it's the first book of the Bible, is Genesis, we see that, that Jews were meant to be a light to the nations. This wasn't just a club that they belonged to for them. They're, God was using them to reach the nations, to reach everyone. The reality is, outsiders don't have access on their own. Outsiders, I mean, the, the definition of that word, outsiders, are outside. But Jesus is concerned for the outsiders. I think back to, to middle school for me. I did not enjoy middle school. That was a hard time for me. If you're in middle school right now, it gets better. I promise. I, I, I wouldn't go back and redo middle school for all the money in the world. Man, I really struggled with, with insecurity and, and loneliness. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I belonged. And I just didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. And I will never forget, my, my art teacher in, in seventh and eighth grade played the drums at my church and took an interest in my life. He invited me to, it became my, my drum teacher. He invited me to, to hang out. We, a group of guys went to a, a conference in Detroit. That's where I lived in Michigan at the time. And he, he took me with them and we, we would watch Lions games. And this guy really took an interest in my life. And at a time when I was so unsure of who I was, his belief in me meant something. He believed in me enough to help me see that maybe I wasn't worthless, maybe I had some value. I didn't have, have access to kind of friendships and, and cool things going on, but this guy gave me access. He made me feel included in stuff. And it made a huge difference. He brought me in from the outside. Outsiders don't have access, right? That's why they're called outsiders, but God is concerned for outsiders. God loves outsiders. And through Jesus, God gives outsiders access. I love how Hebrews says it in in, in chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can approach God's throne of grace. We can approach the, the cosmic sovereign Lord of the universe. We can approach him because he has given us access to him. 
We have access to the, to the most powerful authority in the entire universe that ever existed. Jesus makes that possible. God wants people to know him, to experience him personally. And Jesus is the skeleton key. Jesus opens every door. And what we see here in, in this story is that Jesus removes barriers. All this commerce that was going on, that's a barrier to people experiencing God in, in real and transformational ways. And Jesus removes those barriers. That's what he does. That's his specialty. We all have barriers between us and God. Some we've erected on our own. Some others have erected. Some we've allowed others to erect. And still others are erected because we live in a broken world. What are your barriers? As we're all in, in self-quarantine right now, we're experiencing some very real barriers. Maybe for you, you're experiencing isolation. You're experiencing disconnection. Maybe you're experiencing the, the loss of a job or the loss of income. And you're wondering, God, where are you in this? Why would you allow this to happen? You're hurting and you're struggling because these barriers have been, have been built between you and God. You, you look at God and go, Why? if you really cared about me, you would do something. For others, we, we have different barriers. Maybe, maybe it's not pandemic related. Maybe it's a past hurt or past baggage or past pain. Maybe it's something that you can't move on from. It's, it's a hurt that lingers. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe you can't see God for who he is because of an unhealthy relationship with your father or with your mother, or with a boss, or with a spouse. Maybe a barrier is injustice. Maybe you look around the world and go, man, I just, if God, you were real, why would you let bad stuff happen? Maybe a barrier is your own self-worth. Maybe it, you struggle with this feeling that you're, you're just not good enough, and that if God knew who you really were, then, then he, he wouldn't possibly love you, or, or how could you ever be be do enough good or, or be valuable enough for God to, to care about you. But folks, God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to remove all those barriers. Jesus removes and transcends and crosses all of those barriers. We can't build anything strong enough to keep him out. What are those barriers for you? We are so lucky and so blessed and so privilege to be loved by a God who cares about the outsiders, who cares about those who are on the outside looking in who are not yet included. He, his heart is for them. God has not created a club where just the insiders matter. And, and that's so meaningful because I, I'm sure you can think of a time in your life where you were welcomed in, and those are meaningful things for us. I've been a part of Project 938 for, for almost two months and it's been a great experience for me, even though I, I still live 500 miles away. And one of the, the major reasons for that is that this team has welcomed me in. I'm an outsider. There's a team that's been together, that ex has shared experiences and, and, and institutional memory, and yet they have welcomed me in. I feel like a part of this team, not because of anything I've done. Not because I'm great. I mean, I, I, I hope I'm likable. I mean, I hope I'm not this terrible person. But not because of anything I've done, but because they've extended trust and relationship to me. I was an outsider that has been welcomed in. And it's a powerful picture for us to see that God draws the outsider in as well, that that's where God's heart is. 
I mean, that's really the nature of the gospel, that we are all outsiders. That's the good news of the Bible, that, that sin, has, our brokenness has separated us from God, right? That we've rebelled from God. Really, sin is us saying to God, I don't need you to find good in my life. I can find good and meaning and purpose and value apart from you, aside from you. That we've pushed God away and yet God has chased us down, has moved towards us in his love and his grace and his mercy to say, no, I care about you. Because he knows that longing we have in our heart can only ever be filled by him that we have a need in our soul that we can't ever meet no matter what relationships we pursue or how much success we achieve or or the addictions we give into. None of those things will fill that longing. Only he will. And so God in his love and his mercy reaches out towards us and brings us in. He crosses all our barriers. What I love is, is that God, we don't worship God at the temple anymore. But the the temple wasn't replaced by church. Church isn't the new temple. Jesus is the new temple. Because in in this story, Jesus gives them a powerful sort of foreshadowing of this moment. They say to him, give us a sign, right? Show us who you are. And he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And his point is that this is no longer the place where you will worship God. That this is no longer your access point to God. I am your access point to God. Because he will one day in the future, this story, hang on a cross, condemned to die, though he was righteous and just and did did nothing wrong, that he would take upon his shoulders the sin of the world, our pain, our shame, our hurt, our rebellion from God, that he would die and three days later, God would raise him back to life so that when we trust in him, when we experience that, our sin is not just put to death, but we're brought to new life in him. That the greatest barrier that we have between us and God is crossed. Jesus breaks down the barriers that we might know the life we were created to experience. Jesus died the the death we should have died so, so that we might live the life we were created to live. But I love here that he doesn't just draw the outsider in. God draws the insider out. God draws the insider out. What we see here is this idea that God is not at a place But God is with a people, right? Because the temple is no longer going to be the place. Jesus points to that time that this temple is no longer going to be your only access point to God. I am. And so because of that, we don't have to be stuck orbiting this area. We can experience God wherever we are when we turn to him. Jesus has made that possible. And that's a challenge to insiders, because once we are, get inside, we can be so, so glad that we made it inside, we forget who's on the outside. We give in to things like nationalism. We give in to things like, like membership identity. We, we give in to this club mentality that, that I made it and this is my group and this is where I'm going to stay instead of thinking, how can I bring as many people inside with me as possible? I mean, it reminds me of of middle school. I I worked with students for a long time. And one of the things that that I saw was that cliques were rarely formed intentionally, right? There's rarely this this cabal of students that get together and say, how can we exclude as many people as possible? (laughs) What happens is people are so desperate to belong and find a sliver of space that's their own where they can have an identity, where they can have meaning, that once they find it, They forget what it was like to not experience it. And so they don't think about bringing other people in as well. 
We forget who we used to be and how much we wanted to be included and draw in. We're so glad we made it, we forget to include others. And that's a picture of the religious leaders here. I mean, they're the insiders. The, the insiders who should know this the best were the ones erecting obstacles. They were making the interaction with God and, and the experience with God more difficult for those who were the furthest away. The people who should have said, no, 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 we want people to know God because God wants people to know him. So let's, let's make this as easy as possible had allowed commerce to take over the temple. They allowed the experience of God to, to be made more difficult. They valued convenience more than experience. Right action mattered more than right heart. I love this, this verse in, in 1 Samuel, and, and KG was talking about it this week in our staff, but Samuel's talking to Saul. To, to the king of Israel, God had asked him to do something and Saul had kind of done it halfway. And so Samuel says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And what he means there is obedience is better than religious, empty religious action because the what doesn't matter as much, nearly as much as the why behind it. God doesn't just want our actions. He wants our soul. He wants our heart. The religious leaders here were making sure the what got done while losing sight of the why. The what mattered more to them than the why. And folks, that's legalism. The what without the why is legalism. The practice and the process mattered more than the purpose. They had fallen in love with the means and the mechanics of worship and lost sight of the object of worship. And before we think, yeah, they're, I mean, I'm so tempted to do that too. Like, yeah, that's messed up. Like, I can't believe they did that. I would never do that. I do that all the time. I make being a follower of Jesus about moralism, about what I need to do, about doing the right stuff, about, about man, if I, if I can check these boxes, then God will be okay with me. And I miss the reality of God wants me to know him and love him and experience him. That practicing spiritual disciplines are not a means for, for God to love me more. They're a means for me to surrender more of my heart to him. We're going to be talking this morning about this, plan, this 45-day challenge that we're going to take. And our goal as a church is we don't want you to do this stuff so that God will love you more. We want you to do this stuff so that you understand how much God already loves you. They'd lost sight of that. And that's such, such a dangerous reality for us too. We can go to church, we can, we can pray, we can kind of go through these motions and we can lose sight of the object of our worship as we focus just on the mechanics of it. We can become insiders and forget what it was like to be on the outside. I love that in this, there's, there's some nuanced stuff in this story. I love that, that, that the religious leaders, I mean, there's something interesting here right? They have this system in place and Jesus comes and he upsets it all and he drives out the animals and he flips over the, the, the money changing tables. And what I, what I find fascinating is they don't have this guy arrested immediately. I mean, they have the legal authority over this area. And so they, they ask him, who, who are you to do, to do this stuff? And that's a fair question, but they don't instantly have him arrested. And, and I think that's because they sensed something about him, something somewhere told them they couldn't just blow this guy off. Something somewhere told them there may be something to this guy. They wanted a sign. And they told Jesus that. Show us a sign. Okay, fine. If, if, you, if you think you have this authority, show us a sign. 
And Jesus says, I'll show you a sign. I've got a sign for you, but I'm not going to show it to you right now. I've got a sign that, that this temple will be destroyed and, and, and built back again in three days. And he's not talking about the physical temple now. He's talking about himself because he's the new vehicle for us to experience God. He's the new access point. He says, I'll show you a sign. When I come back to life, that'll be your sign. We can be like those religious leaders. I mean, if we're honest. We don't like when Jesus challenges the status quo. We know there's something about him that we can't reject outright, so we want him to prove himself to us. And we'll ask ridiculous and selfish things because we don't want him to be who he says he is, if we're honest, because we don't really want to change. I mean, all throughout the Bible, and I think if we're honest as well, we'd say things, well, listen, I'll believe if you just show me, if you just show me in, this, in some miraculous way. But a God that would bend to our whims is not a God worth worshiping. It's not a God that's sovereign. A God that says, fine, I'll do whatever party trick you need me to do is not a God that is authoritative and powerful and worth surrendering to. Because God has given us signs. Ultimately, Jesus is the greatest sign. Jesus, our new access point. Jesus is God coming towards us, God who stepped into time. Jesus is God meeting us where we are, putting on flesh as a, as a human to experience our life. Je Jesus is God condescending to us to bring outsiders in and to encourage insiders out. Because God doesn't want us just to stay inside. Right? It, it, to, we're not called to stay in this little members-only group. It's how, how do we involve others in it? How do we help others to experience this? If, if Jesus is truly life-changing, if we've experienced radical life change, why wouldn't we want everyone to experience that? A couple uh, months ago, I worked at a, a Nike outlet for a little while, seasonal. I love sneakers. I, I'm a sneakerhead. And so the chance to have a, a Nike discount was uh, I was going to take advantage of that. And the way they described it to me when I was filling out my paperwork was the discount is obscene. And it was. There, I had access to the special employee-only website where everything was 40% off. I mean, it was incredible. I worked there for a couple weeks, and I think I basically worked there for free. They basically just paid me in sneakers. It was it was. So awesome. When my status changed, my access changed. When I became an employee, I got access to this stuff. And I could have just rubbed that into my, to my family, right? I could have just rubbed that into my brother. I could have called him up and been like, hey, dude, I can get all this stuff super cheap. I mean, that's a brother's too, right? I could have done that. But there's this interesting thing. I didn't just get access for myself. I could get access to this discount for all of my family. I could sign all of them up for it. I could include all of them in this, and they didn't need me to get the discount. They could go on their own and, and get it. And why wouldn't I do that? I mean, I could have just enjoyed my employee discount myself. I could have just enjoyed my status as an insider, but why wouldn't I want them to experience it too? And so I signed them all up the first time I could. I got these passes where I could send people discount codes and I, I sent out everything I had. I wanted people to experience this stuff. I wanted th th this thing that I love to be something that they could love too. And what challenges me when I think about that is, am I willing to do the same thing with something that matters infinitely more? Am I willing to do something, the same thing when it comes to salvation, when it comes to experiencing the love of Jesus? Am I willing to do the same thing when it comes to my, to, to my and others' eternity? Do I want them to experience the same richness of a relationship with Jesus? 
Or am I just going to stay an insider on my own? How can we as insiders look beyond ourselves to draw others in? There's a movie named Hacks called Hacksaw Ridge about Desmond Doss. He was a conscientious objector, a wouldn't, uh, pacifist, wasn't going to hold a weapon, uh, but wanted to go and serve. And, and so in World War II, um, he's uh, out in the, in the Pacific, and they're on Okinawa, and there's a, they have to climb this 400-foot-tall jagged cliff named Hacksaw Ridge to get to uh, it, it, this force of Japanese soldiers that were in, fully entrenched in, in hidden caves and holes. And this campaign took a month. And it was bloody, brutal fighting. And, and Doss was a medic. He said, I'm not going to hold a gun, but, but I'm going to go and care for people. And so he, he treated injured men and he'd, he'd drag them to safety and he'd dress their wounds right in front of the enemy. I mean, it was, it was incredible. And about a week into the fight, he's the only medic who's available to advance with the rest of the men. And so he moves forward with them and this massive artillery barrage hits the U.S. troops as they're moving forward. Many people were killed and injured. I mean, it was brutal. He's the only medic left. And over the span of several hours, Doss would go out and grab the injured men and bring them back and lower them down the cliff. And just when they said, you're done, you don't have to go back out, he'd be like, no, there's more out there. And so he'd go back out. And he did this over and over and over and over again for hours. And he kept praying, dear God, let me just, let me get just one more man. Just one more. By nightfall, he had rescued 75 soldiers, including many of the men who had given him an incredibly hard time when he had joined, first joined the military. Let me get just one more. He could have rescued someone and then lowered himself down to safety saying, I did what I should have done. Hey, I, I, I can't go back out there. It's crazy. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to put myself at risk. But he didn't. He said, dear God, let me get just one more man. Man, what if we had that same attitude? God, let us... Just reach one more outsider. Let us reach just one more person. Let us reach one more person so they would understand what it means to be known and loved by you. What would it look like if we had that same heart to reach out to those that are not on the inside so that they understand who God is and, and they get to experience him? That's God's heart. I want to leave you with a couple questions this morning, things to wrestle through and think about, things that I've been thinking through this week. Are you struggling with the barrier between you and God? Are you struggling with, with the barrier? What are, your, what are your barriers? What is it? Identify it. What is that thing? What is that attitude? What is that experience? What is that, that hurt that you need Jesus to remove? What barriers can you help someone else remove? How can you move towards someone else and, and help them experience God in, in a different way? Second thing is, are you taking advantage of the access that you have? Now, Hebrews tells us we have access to the, to the throne of grace, that, that Jesus has removed all these barriers. Are you taking advantage of the access? Are you engaging with God about the realities of your life? Are you talking with him about your hopes, your fears, your pains, your hurts? And lastly, are you taking time to look back and reflect on who God is and what he's done in your life? 
One of the things that sticks out to me from this is the disciples. The last verse says, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. It didn't make sense at the time, but it did when they looked back, when Jesus put the pieces together and as the Holy Spirit worked in their life, are you taking time to pause and look back and reflect? What makes sense for you in retrospect? What is time and reflection made clearer like it did for the disciples? Folks, we're in a unique season of life. And in this time when life is slower and quieter than it likely ever has been or maybe even will be again, take time to take stock and look back. back. Let God bring into focus a clearer picture of his work in your life. Because God cares for the outsiders and wants to draw them in. So how can we be insiders that look to do the same thing? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for that truth. We thank you that you love us so much you'd send your son to break down all barriers, to move towards us. Lord, we thank you that you are not a God that is is in a place, but you are a God that is with a people. You are with your people, Lord. Thank you that you would move towards us, that that we might be drawn to you, Lord. Would you give us a a heart to want others to experience that same thing? Father, we love you and we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.